Well, welcome to Community Christian Church. My name is Ed, and we are so glad you are here to be here today. In fact, if you're at Ashley Park, I just want to welcome you and say I'm looking forward to seeing you in a few weeks when I'll be over there. And if you're joining us online, I hope we'll see you soon at one of our two campuses. You know, when I was uh, right around eight years old, between eight and nine, I think, uh, I ran away from home for the very first time. Now, I need to say up front, um, when I talk about me being seven, eight, nine years old, it's not like me, I'm trying to give you any kind of lessons about parenting and what this story is going to be is not that kind of thing. You know, for you to understand me at that age, you need to understand I grew up on a very large farm and my dad was a high challenge kind of dad. And so from the time I was in diapers, he pretty much had me, uh, or pretty much uh, out of diapers, he had me with him pretty much all the time. And so at this point in my life, around eight or nine, I had already been driving tractors by myself in the field where he'd take me and drop me off in the morning and then leave me in the field with the, driving this tractor until he'd come back around lunch. And uh, even people uh, in that day thought that was crazy. So I just need to say to you, uh, this is not like your seven, eight, nine-year-old who's in elementary school uh, raised in suburban Atlanta. This is a whole different thing. Uh, already at this point in my life, I had said to my dad, hey, uh, I want to try to make my own way. You got a little bit of land that I could have and call it my own, raise crops and get the money on my own. And so at this point in my life, he had already, he and I negotiated and he gave me three acres that I could raise as sort of my own and got to keep uh, most of the money for myself. That was his negotiation. And uh, so that's where we are. Well, at this particular afternoon, it's a Sunday afternoon, I remember, I had had enough of my family. I'd had enough of them trying to rule my life. I'd had enough of people not smart as me trying to tell me what I should do and how my life ought to go. And I told them that I was done. I said, I'm going to take that, uh, this, I, th me and my life, and I'm going to move to Louisiana to live with one of our rel relatives. And he raised registered quarter horses, and I was going to work for him, and I would grow up down there. Now, just to show you that I still had little kid kind of brain, my plan wasn't really all that great. I, my plan was I was going to drive the tractor all the hundreds of miles from northeast Mississippi all the way to Louisiana. And so uh, that was the deal. So my dad listened to this calmly after, you know, I had given this to him. And he said, well, you know, got to do what you got to do. So it's uh, going to get dark soon. You better get at it. So I loaded up what few clothes I thought I needed to take to show that the plan wasn't good as well. I didn't take but one meal of food, and uh, I got ready to go. And my dad lined my mom, him, my mom, and my two sisters up out in the yard, uh, and there he is, and he's just waving goodbye with a big smile on his face, and my mom looks like she's in shock, and my two sisters are crying, begging him not to let me go. And I headed off for Louisiana in my life as a registered quarter horse trainer. Well... Uh, it didn't take too long for me to drive a little bit on that tractor at the speed tractors drive for me to have time to cool off and something to hit my brain of this is not a good plan. So I turned around and I came back home and to show how long it took me to cool off, they were all still out in the yard. My mom and dad, like they had expected me to come back already and my sisters are out there, they are already doing something else. Now again, you're not supposed to get any kind of lesson out of that story. That's not why I told it. There's no parenting lessons or nothing there. Why I told you that story is that story became in our family one of those, hey, remember when stories. You know what I mean? The kind of story that when you're sitting around as a family that somebody goes, 
hey, you remember when Ed uh, thought he was grown enough to get on a tractor and drive to Louisiana and then everybody laughs and everybody pokes fun at me and that's why I hate my family. <laughs> uh, not really, but uh, you know what I mean. You've got those stories. Every family has those stories. It might be a vacation where something went really great and everybody says, remember when, or it might be when something went really bad, but you have those moments where you go back, think back to, and it brings back up either a really poignant memory or a really funny memory. Uh, my sons have those memories. In fact, now they're at an age when Becky and I hear them talking, they have remember when stories that they aren't remember when for us because they were doing things we didn't even know about. <laughs> and they'll just share a word or a phrase and they'll have a lot of laughter together about something they remember when. Now, the reason I get you to think about all of that is because, you know, the Bible tells us that Jesus became like us. And what I take as a part of that is that Jesus also had some of these remember when stories with his family that shaped him that became a part of his life. Now, you may not know this if you're not, you know, Christian background, you haven't grown up in church, or maybe did, but you never really got this. But we believe, Christians believe, that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. But a part of what happened when he came to earth is that he emptied himself of his godhood and uh, he took on the form of a man to experience everything we experience. In fact, there's this part of uh, Jesus' life where it's telling about uh, his uh, growing up years and how he had to grow, it, that it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and all the, uh, all the people. And what that means is that Jesus didn't just have all the wisdom that God had, he had to grow into it. That Jesus, who had emptied himself as a kid, he's growing in wisdom and stature. There are things that Jesus had to grow. There are things that he... He learned and that he became the God-man that he became, that he fully God, fully man, that he grew into that. And I think one of the ways that God used to grow his son into the man that he would become is through the use of his family and the stories that they had together. In fact, in Luke's account, just uh, before that verse that I read you, there's a story about his mother and about the birth of Jesus and all his growing up years. And it says about his mother that Mary treasured these things in her heart. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think it means that Mary was like the kind of parent you are and that I am, that when things happen with our kids and with our family, we have some of those remember when things that we treasure up, that we can remember, and we can remember what it looked like and what it felt like and what our kids were like, that we treasure them up. And I have to think, because Mary is a good parent, and that Mary probably did what I have tended to do, uh, with my sons, and I do now with my granddaughters, is that I would tell them stories that they didn't already know about our family. See, and I know I'm making this part up because it's not in the Bible, but I think because Jesus and his family were, they were a normal family, he was, they were normal human beings, that they had the experience that all of us have, and human beings love stories, and I have to believe that they shared these stories with each other. In fact, maybe in their culture more because they didn't have the entertainment, I think maybe storytelling was a huge part of what they do. So I believe that Mary probably was a great storyteller because 
her son eventually became a great storyteller. And I don't know how it really worked. And I know I'm just making this up. And don't press me too hard on this because I know it's not in the Bible. But I have to believe that at some point in their life growing up, Jesus and his brother James and his sisters are around and his little brother Jude's there around and they're all hanging out. And maybe one of the brothers or one of the sisters, maybe it was James who we just studied all summer long, he looks at his mom and he goes, hey, mom, tell us the story. And then he pokes Jesus in the ribs and says, tell us the story about when he was born in a barn. And you know, you know that story. You know that story because Mary probably told that story to all of her kids again and again and again. And because she's told that story so well, now you and I know that story. We still have it. So Mary, I think, probably when they said, hey, Mom, tell us that story, if she had time, probably regularly she'd sit down and go, well, you know, your dad and I, we had known that something special was going to happen because God had told us about it through a dream, through an angel, and we knew that Jesus was going to be born. But there was this guy, Caesar Augustus, you know, the emperor, and he made a decree that everybody had to go to their hometown uh, so they could be counted. So we had to go to Bethlehem because our family is of the line of the great King David, and that's our lineage's hometown. So when it came time for us to go to Bethlehem to be counted, well, I was really close to giving birth to Jesus. And the ride from Galilee down to Bethlehem, it was really uncomfortable. And by the time we got there, we were both exhausted. And there were people everywhere in that little community of Bethlehem. And so your dad went to look for a place for us to stay. And I was trying to just, I needed to lay down. I was so exhausted from the trip. And when he, he comes back to me, he has this look on his face, you know, that kind of looked like something wasn't going right. And he looked at me. And do you know what your dad said to me? And maybe James goes, I know what he said. And he looks at Jesus and goes, he said there was no room for him. Because, you know, brothers like to make fun of each other. At least my three sons like to make fun of each other. And Mary said, yeah. He said, hey, there's, there's no room for us. There's no room for us here. Well, we negotiated with somebody that we could go to a barn. And we could stay in the barn that night. And that night is the night that Jesus was born. And then she'd tell the whole story. Now, you hear that story, and because that story for you is tied up with all kinds of sentimental things for you, and you've tied that story to your story, many of us, that it, it sounds sort of quaint, and it, sort of, it sounds sort of nice, and because you have nativity sets in your mind, and it's all so clean, and it sits on top of your you know, mantle or your TV or somewhere in your house or underneath your tree, it all looks so beautiful, but... That's because most of us haven't ever been around a barn where animals are, and I have been around those kind of things, and I don't know any woman that would want to give birth to a kid in a barn. Which brings me to the question that I want you to think about for a second and why I told you that Remember When story. Why was Jesus born in a barn? Why is it that Jesus had to be born in a barn? Why did that happen? Well, many of you have been around church, you've heard Christmas messages before, and you go, well, God was identifying with humanity, and he wanted to become in, in a humble form, and so he came in the form of a baby so that he could empty himself and become in the most vulnerable state, and because he wanted to identify even with the poor where there was no place for them, he, he was born in a barn. I get that, and I believe a majority of that is true, but the question I have for you, if 
God wanted him to be born in a barn and he wanted all of that to take place. Why didn't he tell Mary and Joseph, hey, he'd already talked to them through an angel. Hey, when you get to Bethlehem, don't pass go. Don't talk to anybody. Just go to the barn. It'll all be ready for you. Just go to the barn. That's where it's all going to take place. It'll all be okay. I've got it all covered. And wise men are going to come. And, you know, angel, angels are going to be there. And it's all going to be great. I've got it all covered. Why didn't he just do that? Now, another part of this that you might not know because we don't talk about a lot at Christmas is that Paul, who becomes a follower of Jesus, he's talking about the story of Jesus and when Jesus was born. And he says that when, every, when the time had fully come, Jesus was born. Now, what that means is, Paul says that God, he looked all throughout time, and he got to just the right time in history, at just the right moment in history. He looked at all the governments, all the people, all the places. He picked just the right time. He picked just the right mom, just the right dad for his, for his son to have. He put him in just the right family so he could be in the line of David. He put him in the right city so that people would know he was of the line of David so that God had sent him. He got all the details right. You're telling me he got all of that right? And then when it came time for Jesus to be born, some angel in heaven forgot to make the room reservation? That there got to that moment, Jesus was like... Which one of y'all was supposed to get the room? Why do they have to go to a barn? See, I think that whole story of there not being room is a part of what God used to shape his son's life as he grew in wisdom and stature. I think that story that he got told to Jesus as he's growing up and maybe his brothers made fun of him about him, maybe it became one of those things that stuck with him is a part of what God used to grow Jesus in wisdom and stature. Because Mary would tell that story and Jesus would hear over and over, Jesus, there was no room for us. There was no room for us when it came time for you to be born. Another interesting thing that people don't often know is that the Bible tells us that Jesus was the creator of this planet, that because he's fully God that it was Jesus, Jesus was the word that was speaking this into existence, that Jesus created all the universes and all the planets. And imagine what it was like for Jesus, who had created the planet, to come to the planet that he created. And the planet says to him, there's not room for you. There's no room for you. Now, everybody joining in with us today know what it's like, you know what it's like to have been given the feeling, there's no room for you. There's no space for you. You're not included here. We all know what it's like to have that moment. Maybe for you it was at work and the economy got bad and somebody called you into an office or took you aside at one point and said, hey man, I hate to tell you, but things aren't going real well and there's, there's not any room for you here anymore. And you got let go. Or you know what it's like to have tried your best to make a team and somebody says to you, hey, there's no room for you on this team. Or you know what it's like to be in a situation where a whole bunch of people are together and you're the one that walks in and nobody includes you. There, there doesn't seem to be any room for you. Or some of you are here because, you know, because of things that have happened in your life. Your families looked at you and said, Hey, we don't have room for all your stuff. There's no room for you. Or your spouse said to you, there is no room for you in my life anymore. 
All of us know what it's like to come to that place where people said to us, there's no room for you. And all of us know what it's like when somebody says to us, hey, I will make room for you. I'll make room for you. You remember what it's like when, I mean, some of us have had the opportunity where somebody says for you, hey, you know, we don't really have room in the budget for this, but I believe in you, and I'm going to make a position for you. I, I believe you can make a difference, and I want to make room for you in our business, in our company. It doesn't really fit with what we're going, but I believe in you, and I have room for you. You know what it's like when you were in school, or maybe some of you who just went back to school, and your classes aren't the same as all of your friends, and you have to go in to eat, and when you walk in, you, you come out, and you look around, and the cafeteria is just full, or you look around, and there's no place to sit. There's no room for you, and then you look at a table, and all your friends are there, and you think, their table's even full. But then one of your friends catches your eye and gives you the signal, hey, come on over. And when they say, hey, 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 they pull up a chair and they go, we'll make room for you. You know what it feels like to have somebody say to you, hey, we will make room for you. There is room for you here because you're included. We all know what it feels like to have somebody say to us, hey, there's no room for you. And we know what it's like for somebody to say to us, hey, even though it doesn't look like there's room, there's room for you. You're included. You're a part of our circle. Now, let me just step away from that and say that some of what Jesus came to communicate, some of why Jesus came as a human being, and he came to communicate to human beings the idea that God has made room for every single human. And that's why this story that I've told you, I think it really matters. You know, Religion, this idea that we have that I know I'm not right with God and I need to figure out how to get right with God and so there's certain things that I have to do and I have to measure up. And religion, it doesn't matter which one it is, whether it's Christianity or any other religion. It's all about religion makes room for people who are good and upright and do the right things and pray the right way and talk the right way and do the right things and don't mess up any right in, in such a way. If, if you can get your life right, religion says to you, God has made room for you, for the few, for the humble, for the upright. God has made room for you. Religion has this way of looking at all of your baggage, looking at all of your life, looking at all the things that you've done and all the things you haven't done and saying to you, hey, if you can get your stuff right, there is this view of the kingdom of God in every religion's world that it's about this size. Every human religion has this thing of saying there's borders around it and you have to get inside those borders. So they take a guy and they, get, they go, Ed, you know, you've got some anger problems and that's led you to some behavior kind of issues and, you know, you've done some things and you've got some pride issues and you think you're smart and you put other people in a place where they don't feel as smart at times and we hate to bring this up but you know there's a whole decade called the 70s yeah let's just wipe that out and it ain't nobody got room for that in the kingdom of God hey Sarah I, I don't mean to bring this up but you got a little spending issue and there's this other little thing it's called wine and uh you do that a little too much, and ain't nobody in the kingdom got room for all that. Religion has this way of saying, hey, there are the few, the humble, the, the upright, the righteous. And in the kingdom of God, 
there's room for those few, those humble, those upright. And the problem, of course, is all of us are trying to figure out where we are. Where, where are we? Am I in? Have I done enough? Did I make it over the line? Have I made it to that place? But for many of us, at some time, because of our life choices or because of what has happened to us, we think God is looking at us and saying, hey, there's no room for you. There's no room for you with that addiction. There's no room for you with that divorce. There's no room for you with what's going on in your life that secretly nobody knows about. There's no room for you, no room for you within the kingdom of God. You have not made the cut. And you feel like you're out. And then there comes Jesus. And again, I think this is a part of why Jesus came. I think this is why the story gets driven deeply into him because when Jesus comes, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. When it comes to God, you don't have to be cautious. You don't have to stand around and worry. Don't, don't let your heart be troubled by this. If you believe in God, if you trust in God, you trust also in me. If, you, if you'll put your trust in me, if you'll throw your confidence on me, you believe that I'm right and you'll, you'll just follow me. Let me show you the picture of the kingdom of God that Jesus paints. He says, if you trust me, he says, in my father's house, and I, I love the fact that Jesus didn't say in my father's movement or in my father's kingdom at this point. Jesus makes clear, God's building a family. In my father's house, there are, he says something that's never been said before. And I want you to think about this. Think about how this must have resonated with him. This is near the end of his life. And he thinks all the way back to that first story that his mom had told him of him being born in the barn because there was no room for him. He says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. There are plenty of rooms for everybody. The kingdom of God is not this little place where people are looking and going, hey, we're already full, or hey, you don't have your stuff together, or hey, you've got too much going back. I think Jesus looks all the way back to Bethlehem, and in one of the last moments he has to sing to his guys, he goes, hey, you believe in God? Believe in me. Trust in me. In my Father's house, there is wide open rooms. There is plenty of rooms. If it were not so, I'd have told you that. I would have told you it were that way. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then there's this invitation. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. And I'll take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Jesus came to make sure that every human being knew. There's not just room for a few. There's not just room for the upright. There's not room for a few like religion has been telling you. My father's house has many, many, many rooms. It's open to everyone. And of course, that's why those of us who follow him come together. It's why we worship. It's why we sing. Because Jesus didn't make room for a few. Jesus made room for me and you. Jesus made room for me and you and all the me and you all over the world. Jesus didn't say, want us to say to anybody, hey, there is no room for you. You've been included. Hey, I will make room with you. You can be included. But he didn't only say that to everybody. He said, hey, I want you to participate and I want you to go and be the one to include all the people that think that they don't get included in the kingdom of God.
And that's why I told you this today, and that's what I want us to remember in this Why Not week, just before Why Not Summer, Sunday. See, we decided a long time ago as a church that we would be a place that was for everybody. And we wanted to be a place where everybody knew, hey, you know, there's not just room for people who are ain't no God. There's room for everyone in the kingdom of God. And it doesn't matter what you've done. We really do believe everybody's welcome because nobody's perfect and anything can happen in the kingdom of God because Jesus made room, not for a few. He made room for me and he made room for you. And it doesn't matter what baggage you have. There's room for you and all of that inside the kingdom of God. We want to include you. We want you to come. God is for you. He's not against you. That's why we as a church have said, hey, we want to join with people to let them know. It doesn't matter whether the organization is a high school that needs some help or it's a food closet that needs some help or it's people around the world that we will never meet that need some food. We want to do what we can to help them. And they don't have to agree with everything we believe. They may never believe what we believe. We just want to be a part of blessing our world because Jesus said there is room for everyone and we want everyone to know that God is for them. And the way they know that God is for them is that we are for them. That's why a few years ago we said, hey, we want to make sure that everybody in our community knows that God is for them and we just want to bless our community. And it's not about getting more people to come to our campuses. Of course there's going to be room at our campuses. And we will do everything we can to make sure there's always an empty seat for the next person that needs to be included. But it's not primarily about that. It's about letting people know that God is for them and they have been included. And even if they felt like they were excluded, God is loving them and wants them to be included. And Yet you know that so many people feel like when we talk about, hey, you're included, why not come, that people feel like Christians, the thing they felt that I hear from people is, hey, you're just asking people to go out and convert people and fix people and turn them into projects, and I don't want to turn anybody into projects. And you know what I mean by that. It's the kind of thing you've had with somebody in your life where something began to happen or they got involved in a certain situation and then they asked you to come over to their house for a party or they invited you to lunch and they wanted to tell you about something and you could tell when they began to talk to you about something that they had a new deal that they wanted to do and they told you about this thing they'd bought into and it gets to the end of it and they'd say, and if you will do this, you can become a distributor, which is all fine. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But when you told them that you weren't interested in what they were selling, it became really clear that they weren't all that interested in you either. That they sort of let you go from as important that you were. So, because we didn't want anybody to think, hey, if you don't believe what we believe, we're going to somehow not bless you anymore. We even went so far to say, hey, let's take this idea of bless and let's, let's remind each other that this could be even a strategy of how we bless so that nobody feels with a project. And so... We turned it into one of those, you know, we use it as a little acronym, and we didn't come up with it, but we've been talking about it in our community for the last few years. And it's this idea of when we're engaging with people, when we're in our world and we meet anybody, with every relationship, we, we begin that relationship, at least on our end, we begin with prayer, that we, as we meet somebody, we begin by saying, hey, God, how can I bless this person? How can, this person that's you know, cleaning my teeth or this person that's serving me the food or this person in my neighborhood that I don't know or this pe person at school or this teacher that I'm interacting with or this student that I'm interacting with. God, how could I be a blessing in this person's life? God, what would you use me to bless this person's life? And you just pray that God would be a blessing in their life, even if you just meet them for the first time. You begin every relationship that you just begin with prayer. And then 
We listen. We start by not trying to talk and to tell them what's important to us, but we begin to listen to their story. I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems like in our world more so, maybe it's always been this way, but even more so now that everybody wants to talk and nobody wants to listen, that we all have an opinion in a place and we all have things that really matter to us and we're all talking about what's important to us, but nobody wants to listen. And then you meet the person who finally listens to you, and I don't mean just listens to your words, but they listen to you and they, they get at who you are and how incredibly good it feels when somebody listens to your story. And we want to bless people by beginning with prayer and God open us up and then we listen to their story and who they are and then we go from that that we, we eat with them, we include them, we, we bring them into our life and we serve them. We say, God, how could I serve them? Is there something I could do? I, could I include them to let them know that they matter to me? Is, there, is that the step you want me to take in this relationship? But that that's the next thing that I, I include them in my life and then after I've included them by how can I serve them because I've listened and they've probably told me something I could do to help them. Then I share the story of what God is doing in my life, of how God is making my life better and he's made me better at life that because of what Jesus has done, I tell them this is such an important part to me. And then we said, as we move out and we bless the world, as we go about and we're blessing people around us that what we want to do is a few times a year, we want to come together and say, hey, if there are people in your circle that you've been blessing, that God's moved you down the trail, that you feel it's appropriate this, at this point, why don't you invite them to come and see, to come and see what we experience together, what God's been using to make you better and make you better at life. Why don't you invite them to come and see what God's doing? You know, our county continues to grow, and it looks like it's going to. I think that's a great thing, that God continues to bring more people of all different backgrounds to our place. And we know that because our county's growing, there comes a place where we have the opportunity to say to new people, people who are moving here for the very first time and are just looking for relationships, and they're going, they don't really know where to meet anybody because most of us drive somewhere else to work and you only have those relationships with people. How do I meet people that live near me? That as you meet people, you can say to them, hey, why not give church a chance? Because church is a place where I met some of the people that are just the most incredible people that make so much difference in my life and it feels like they're family to me now. And I won't bug you about this, but hey, why not come with me and just come and see and why not give it a chance? We also know because of the nature of our community and the demographics of the people that are moving here that a lot of people are moving here for their very first job and their very first home and their very first mortgage and their so many things in life that are first for them that they're not really prepared for. We also know because of all the demographics about people that are living here that there are a lot of people living here that are living here and they're in the midst of their very first divorce or they're in their very first moment of retirement and they're not ready for something going on in their life and we could say to them, hey, all of us have experiences where, uh, you know, there have been things I wasn't prepared for and I didn't know what to do and, you know, Jesus has made me better in his community of people have helped me through those moments when things weren't going well. And I don't know if it worked for you, but why not give it a chance? Why not come and see what God could do? Would you just come with me one time? We also know that there are people around that things just aren't going very well for. And there's a chance for us to include them. There are many people in our area because it's just the way life is. There's something that's just a little off and Maybe they've even felt like they've been excluded from their family or because 
of an addiction or something or because of a breakup or because of something, they, they don't have a group of people or something because of a diagnosis is just not going very well and they need some help in life and we could say to them, hey, why not give church a chance? It's my support system in life. And the reason we want to do this is because we want to be able to say to everybody, hey, Jesus is, Jesus is for everyone. And Jesus came to the world to make sure that all of us, you included, knew that God isn't just for a few not just the humble, not just the upright. God doesn't just make room for a few. God, God made room for me and for you and for everyone in this world. So why don't, you, why don't you come? So last Sunday I said to you, so I'm challenging you again. Would, would you begin to pray? Would you begin to pray, God, who do you want me to be for? And specifically I said, what four people do you want me to be for? Now, maybe you're far enough along in this blessing strategy that you already knew you're for immediately. And you're right at the point of where you could even begin to, you've listened and you're served and you've included them and you should be making that invitation. But for many of you, you haven't done this. And so maybe it's just that point of you're just beginning to pray. What for should I be for? Would you be willing to pray that? And I'll say to you again, if you're in a discipleship group, would this week, would you all talk to each other about that and hold each other accountable to pray this prayer? God, what for? Who do you want me to be for? See, I believe it's just the power of this of saying to people that felt like there's no room for them that, hey, we, we'll make room for you. There's room for you because Jesus made room for all of us. And all of us here, everybody here who's a follower of Christ, we're here only because somebody said to us, hey, I know you feel excluded, but God made room for you. He made room for me and you, not just for the few, not just for the good. And here you are, and we're so glad that Jesus came and that he made us right with God and included us and that we're looking forward to, we're already a part of God's family and we know that there is room for many more because he brought us into this family and our life has been forever changed. And to most of us, we believe that when we get it to that point where somebody has been introduced to Jesus and their life begins to change, everything begins to change for them. And we know that if we can get a person in a family early enough, if we get a couple early enough where they can influence their children, that a family can begin to change. And if a family changes, enough families change, a community begins to change. And if enough communities begin to change, then our world begins to change. I believe that at the core of my being, that it begins with us changing people and then people change families and then families change communities and communities change the world over time. You know why I believe that so deeply? Because that's how the message about Jesus got from all the way to the other side of the world that it came to me and you. It came one person at a time, one heart at a time, one life at a time. As one person said to another, hey, I know religion makes you feel like there's only room for a few, but Jesus made room for me and you. There's room for all of us. And God included you. And our world began to change. See, there's power in this simple invitation of saying, hey, there's room for you. So again, I just ask you to begin to pray. You never know what's behind a simple invitation you make to somebody, maybe even starting next week. You never know what God's going to do when you say to somebody, hey, why not just give it a chance?